Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Hey, good morning to those of you joining us online as well. It's good to be with you. Like Bill said, my name's Andrew. And uh, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet, please come introduce yourself after the service. I'd love to just connect with you. Um, Let me start by just asking a general question. How many of you enjoy genuine conflict? Anybody? Anybody? No, not really. Yeah, you're like, is that a trick question? Yes, it is. It's a trick question. Yeah, right? There's this great quote. uh, It says, conflict should be the greatest enjoyment of our human lives, said nobody. Right? Nobody, nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. Nobody looks forward to serious conflict. Nobody says, I cannot wait to go home after church today, take off my shoes, sit on the couch, and get in a big disagreement with my spouse. Right? Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks, I can't wait to go to work on Monday and just show up at 8 a.m. and just duke it out with my coworker or my boss. Right? We don't like to put our toddlers in timeout. We don't enjoy having our teenagers slam a door in our face, right? We don't like getting in fights with our disgruntled neighbors. Conflict is not, is not one of the greatest joys of this life, but it is a part of this life. It is a part of it. Uh, It's an inevitable, inevitable part of it among family, among community, really among all relationships, right? If you put a group of people together for long enough, even a group of people who love each other dearly, uh, conflict will arise. Some of you already know this because we've talked about it or maybe we follow each other on social media, um, but my family and I got an awesome chance to go on a 10-day adventure uh, getting back last week uh, to see some of the most beautiful places in our country. If you want to throw that, those pictures up there, uh, we got to go and stand and just look out at the vastness of the Grand Canyon Uh, We got to stand up and look at the largest tree in the world in Sequoia and to go to Yosemite and see just some of the most beautiful, amazing rock faces and waterfalls that were just so much water. I didn't know this at that time when we were there. Um, Actually, Dan, I don't know where you're at. Dan, right there you are. Dan Dan texted me and after we had been there a couple of days and said, uh, hey, did you enjoy the water? Because there was, we found out that the week we were there, there was more water coming off the waterfalls in Yosemite than in the history of Yosemite ever. Apparently they had record like snowfall this winter and a warm spring. And so most of it just melted really quickly and early. And I'd never been there to compare to, but it was just awesome. And so 10 days of this amazing, really adventure of a lifetime. But it was also 10 days with me, my wife, my three kids, 15, 13, and 10 years old together. 24 seven. Some of you know where I'm going with this, right? Like 10 days of being in the car for hours and hours together, 10 days of essentially mostly staying in one cramped hotel room, 10 days of sharing one bathroom, 10 days without much sleep, 10 days of rarely getting a second alone to myself. Someone needs to go get ice. I'll go get ice. I would love to go get ice, right? Like 45 minutes later, where have you been, right? The ice is is melted. Like it was 10 amazing days, but it was also 10 days of full of conflict. You know, of like your feet are touching my side of the bed. Stop breathing in my face. You're so annoying. You're so bossy. 
I miss my friends. I don't even want to be here right now. And that was all just stuff I said to Sarah. Don't even get me, yeah, don't even get me started on our kids. Right, no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, but, but again, if you put a group of people together long enough, even a group of people who love each other, right, conflict will arise. We were doing the most exciting, wonderful thing, and yet there was still conflict. You know, we, we're living this side of heaven. Uh, we'll never live free of conflict. We'll never live free of it, but we can learn with Jesus to learn to live free of the enslavement of conflict, of the entanglement of conflict, of the unhealthy, of, of going through conflict in unhealthy ways. We've been in this series that we've called Live Free, studying the book of Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote uh, to these new young churches that he had planted in the region of Galatia, which is found in modern day Turkey. And Paul is writing this letter Essentially, because even though they're going through this new and exciting thing, this new and exciting thing of of getting to know Jesus and doing life with Him, there was still conflict going on. There was conflict in these churches, and the main conflict that was occurring and that was happening in in, with these Galatian Christians is that primarily most of them were non-Jewish in ethnicity. They did not grow up in Jewish homes and in Jewish culture. Most of them had, had, had grown up uh, in, in other cultures, and other, and, 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 but yet at the same time, there was a group of Jewish Christians, people who had been Jewish and now become Christian, who were known as the Judaizers, who had come after Paul had left. So Paul had come to this area, planted these churches, and after Paul had left, uh, they had come in and said, and, and they had kind of caused some conflict because they, had, they were wanting to add to the gospel that Paul had preached. They wanted to add to the gospel. What Paul had preached, the gospel that Paul had come in and preached into this area was, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. And he, and let me tell you his story. He came to rescue you. He came to save you. And he, he, he came and he offers this opportunity for you to be in right relationship with God. He, he was perfect and blameless and he willingly, courageously and humbly died on the cross for you, for your sins, so that if you put your faith in him, then you can have life with God. You can be in the family of God. And he proved all of this by coming back to life, by resurrecting on the third day. And so Paul taught them this, and many of the Galatians believed. Many of the people in the Galatian area became followers of Jesus. Uh, But then, again, the Judaizers came after Paul, and they said, they added to the gospel. They added to the good news saying, yeah, we, yeah, all that stuff about Jesus is awesome. And that's great. And we believe all that too, but you, now you need to do something else. Now you need to become Jewish. Now you need to begin to follow our customs and all rule, our rules and all of the men, y'all need to get circumcised and y'all need to start eating kosher and you need to give up eating bacon, right? Like, like, oh man. And so there's this conflict in this story that is, we've been talking about this the last few weeks. But what's interesting is now in this part, as we've come to the second half of chapter two, this part, Paul is now going to address this conflict and defend his stance by actually talking about another conflict. It's kind of like a conflict within a conflict or a story within a story. We're gonna look at Galatians starting off in verse 11 of chapter two and read through the rest of the chapter. If you have a Bible or phone app, you wanna pull that out. Also, we'll be putting it up on the screens. You can follow along there and read this to you. And I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. 
uh, because I think it's a little bit clear with what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, but let me, let me read this. So it says this, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you a Jew by birth have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles, these non-Jews, follow Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. And yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ had led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law, I have already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God, so that I might live free for God, you might say. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. We'll stop right there. In fact, let's pray for a second. God, there's a lot to unpack here in this passage. You know, as we try our best to do that, would you speak to the, us through this through these words, Lord, through this story. Would you help us to see uh, what you would like each and every one of us to see as individuals today? Would you help us to understand how this story that even though it happened thousands of years ago, you know, on the other side of the planet, Lord, how it still applies to us today. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So what Paul is talking about here is a conflict between him and Peter, right? There's this conflict between the two of them going on. And he's telling this story, referring to the story. This has ha happened a while in the past, sometime in the past, where Peter, Paul, and a number of other Christians were in the city of Antioch, where there was a, a, a large growing church there. And, and again, a lot of the Christians in Antioch were also non-Jews in, in ethnicity. They were Gentile Christians. And while they were there together, initially, they all ate together. There are Peter, Paul, they were all eating together with these non-Jewish Christians uh, as friends, as community, until one day, some Jewish Christians, some Jewish friends, or, uh, fr Christian friends of James, the half-brother of Jesus, show up. They show up to Antioch. And all of a sudden, Peter, now, now that the cool kids show up, he, he won't eat with the uncool kids' lunch table anymore. 
He's only going to eat over here with the Jewish Christians. And, and Paul notices this and is upset by this. And not only that, not only is Peter doing this, but because of who he is, because he's one of the key leaders of the early church, if not the key leader of the early church, uh, he's influencing other Jewish Christians to do the same. Specifically, Paul mentions Barnabas in this passage, that he has swayed Barnabas to, to coming over and eating at this other lunch table as well. And, and why does he bring up Barnabas? Why does Paul mention his name? Well, uh, earlier in chapter two, Paul mentions Barnabas and another man named Titus as two, his kind of two assistants. There's, Barnabas was a Jewish Christian. This other guy, Titus, was a Gentile, non-Jewish Christian. And what Paul had been trying to do is, is as these two men had, uh, have very different backgrounds, uh, as, as he was using them, as, or as, I'm sorry, not using them, but as they were his assistants, he was trying to model for them and teach them, hey, this is what it looks like to live and do life together now. You know, before you had to be separated, Barnabas and Titus, but now you don't have to be separated anymore. You're brothers now. Because of our faith in Christ, you are brothers and you don't have to be separated from each other. You don't have to eat separated. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And, and now, because of what Peter's done, Paul says, he says, you, Peter, you're acting like a hypocrite. In verse 13, he says, you're acting like a hypocrite. And not only that, you're swaying people like Barnabas to do the same thing. And so Paul, in what I would consider classic Paul fashion, he doesn't avoid the conflict or ignore the conflict. He faces it head on and he opposes Peter to his face in front of everybody and he calls him out. He calls him out. Now, why, why does Peter do this? Why, does Peter, why is Peter now, you know, no longer willing to eat with the Gentile Christians, even though you know, yesterday he was? Why, why does he do this? Is it just that Peter just didn't really know what to do? Is it just that he didn't know any better? Well, no, that's not true. That's not true. Peter did know better and he, and he knew better, not because Paul and he had already talked about it. He knew better because God and he had talked about it. God had told them that it was now okay to, to eat with the, with the Gentiles. Uh, in Acts 10, a story that had happened in the past, there's a story of Peter. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to go read it this week. But there's a story of Peter and he's praying one day. And while he's praying, he starts to realize his tummy starts to rumble. He's, it's lunchtime. He's getting hungry. And, uh, and he, but God uses that. God gives him a vision in that moment. Um, and, and the vision is that Paul, or Peter sees this. He sees this sheet coming down from heaven, essentially like a, like a picnic blanket, coming down from heaven to earth. And as it comes down from God to, to Peter, Peter sees what's on it. And on this picnic blanket, it's full of all this food, but it's all this food that's not kosher food. It's all this food that Peter's never eaten in his life and that he's not allowed to eat. And God says to Peter, hey, I want you to eat this. Peter says, I can't do that. That's unclean. It's impure food. And God says, don't call anything impure that I have now made clean. So God is telling him, hey, hey, what he's essentially saying is, hey, the, the, the old way, the old system, because of what Jesus has done now, you don't have to follow that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. And I'm, I'm pursuing the Gentiles, the non-Jews, just as much as I am pursuing the Jews. I am, because of what Jesus has done, it's for everybody. And so I want you to act in a way that it's for everybody. And literally, just as that vision is ending, there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door and some men 
show up and they ask for Peter. And they say, is Peter here? We would love for him to come. Uh, this man named Cornelius, who was a God-fearing man, but was a non-Jewish man. He was a Gentile, has heard about Peter. He's heard about Jesus and he wants Peter to come and tell him the story. And so Peter, because of this vision he has, he goes to Cornelius's house. When he gets there, tons of people, all these family and friends are there. And Peter, Peter goes into his home and he shares the gospel. And as he's sharing it, he doesn't even get to the punchline yet. He doesn't even get to the, to, the, to the ending. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up, falls on all these people. They all start speaking in tongues. They all put their faith in Jesus and they all get baptized. It's this amazing story that Peter was a part of. And God used Peter as a catalyst in this, in this story with these Gentile Christians. But, but in this case, in this situation in Antioch, Peter is acting like a hypocrite. He's not doing what God has told him to do. And he's influencing other people like Barnabas to act like hypocrites as well. And when I say act, that's actually what I mean, act. Because the word hypocrite in the Greek language uh, means to act, to act like an actor, play acting, to put on a costume, to put on a mask and pretend to be somebody you're not. It's like Peter's in this moment has forgotten who he is. He's forgotten who he is. And so why does Peter respond this way? Why does he jump lunch tables? I think there's two reasons, two reasons. Pride and fear, pride and fear. First, let's talk about pride. In a conflict, we can choose to respond out of pride. We can choose to respond out of pride. Now, pride, sometimes we use that word in a way that's not always a bad thing, right? Like I can be proud of, we can be proud of our kids, right? If they work really hard to study for a test and they do well on it, or they've, maybe they've, they, they're learning piano or keyboard and they work hard all year and they have a recital and they do their best. Like we can be proud of that. That's not the kind of pride I'm talking about. Typically in the Bible, when we talk about the word pride, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's a sinful thing. Uh, and, the, and the original word in English for pride, Old English, means excessive self-esteem. Excessive self-esteem. Not a healthy, modest view of, of oneself, but an excessive value of oneself. Thinking of oneself essentially as better uh, or more valuable than another person. That's the kind of pride that we're talking about here. That's a dangerous kind of pride. That's a sinful kind of pride. In Peter's case... His pride was in the form of, of nationalism, of acting in a way as if his Jewish nationality made him superior to other non-Jewish Christians. It was like he was okay with it all until his Jewish buddies from back home showed up from his own country, from his own team. And, and whether it was a conscious decision or a subconscious decision, we don't know. But Peter let the Jewish part of his identity trump the Christian part of his identity. It's pride, it's pride. And even though he knew better in that moment, Peter fell back into old habits, into, into old patterns. See, we don't realize it because uh, we didn't grow up in a, most of us, I'm assuming most of us didn't grow up in a strict Jewish culture, especially not back first century Jewish culture. Uh, but, but as a little boy, Peter would have been taught and told growing up as a, as a little boy, hey, you don't associate with non-Jews. You, you don't hang out with them. You don't spend time with them. You don't play with them at recess, 
right? You don't spend time with them. You especially, you don't eat with them. You don't eat with them. You don't eat the things that they're eating. He would have been taught that. And even though God has told him, hey, that, that no longer applies, you know, like you're free from that now. In this moment, Peter relapses. Pride gets the best of him and he falls back into old habits and old patterns. Does, does that ever happen to you? Does that ever happen to you where you, you realize like, hey, I'm doing, I'm loving this life with Jesus and I'm trying to learn what it looks to follow him and to live in this, this amazing freedom I have in him. But, but sometimes I realize, oh, I slipped up. I've gone back to old ways of doing things or old patterns. It happens to me all the time, right? Uh, we put on that old mask that we used to wear because sometimes it just feels more comfortable. Sometimes we just know it and it's easier, right? Pride can do that to us. And in a conflict, sometimes pride gets the best of us and, and comes out. Ever get in a conflict with somebody and pride comes out? Like I'm, I'm justified to say this or act in this way because I'm the boss, right? Or I have the degree or I've been here longer. I've earned it more than you have. Maybe you have a, a position or of authority or power over this person, right? Or you say, well, why should you, why should you do what I say? Because I said so. Any parents in the room, right? Ever say that? Like, because I said so, right? I'm the parent, you're the child, right? Uh, you might be even justified, and that you might be right in that situation. But, uh, but in the long run, you know, coming and approaching conflict out from a private heart never really works in the long run, right? You might win the battle, you might get your way, but if you address conflict with a pride-filled heart in the long run, you're not gonna win the person, you know, to your side in the long run. In the long run, it's not gonna bring unity, it's gonna bring just more disunity. You know, there have been times when Sarah and I have fought and had disagreements. And I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, you guys don't have a perfect marriage? Like you guys aren't in perfect unison all the time? No, shocker, we're not, right? Uh, most of my really good marital counsel has come from my own messing up, right? My, my learning the hard way uh, of what not to do. But there are times where Sarah and I will be in a disagreement and she'll be talking and I'll do that thing that I know I shouldn't be doing, where I'm not really listening, not at all. I'm not listening at all to what she has to say. I'm just thinking of all the reasons why I'm right and she's wrong up here, right? I'm coming up with all these arguments in my mind of why I know better, I know more in this situation, or that's, you know, I have more experience here. This is why I'm right. And if I'm stupid enough to let those thoughts come out of my mouth, that never goes well, right? It never goes well. And, it, and even if I am right, you know, whether it's in the way I say it, oftentimes it's the tone I, if I say it in a tone, whatever, how does that make her feel, right? It's demeaning to her. It's belittling to her. And even though I might be right, and it doesn't bring more unity in the situation. It usually just causes more harm than good. Sometimes Pride, whether we're conscious of it or more often than not, subconscious of, of it or not, can just hurt the situation more. And I think that's what Peter did here and why Paul's calling him out, why he's so upset. He's saying, Peter, your pride is, is hurting this ongoing conflict that has been going on in the church. You are not helping the situation. You're actually making it worse. So that's, that's part of the, re the reason why I think Peter responds the way is out of pride. But I think he also responds out of fear. 
out of fear. In conflict, we can also choose to respond out of, of fear, of fear. Some of us, I think, have a tendency in conflict to stand up, right? To, to let, let them know why I'm right and you're wrong and we respond out of pride. But others of us, we can swing to the other side of the, of the pendulum and respond out of fear. In Peter's case, I actually think he does both. He does both. Uh, Paul directly tells us that peer, or fear, peer, I speak for a living, I can talk, that fear played a part in, in Peter's response. Uh, Galatians uh, uh, 2, verse, verse 12, we go back to this one. It says, here Peter was afraid. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Peter was afraid. He was afraid of these friends from James, how they might respond if they saw him sitting, eating with these Gentile Christians. So out of fear, Peter hops lunch tables, right? So often in conflict, fear is one of the factors. So often it's one of the factors that prevents healthy resolution from occurring, right? If I just avoid the problem, if I just ignore it, if I just act like it doesn't bother me, that, you know, you know, if I just don't say anything to my spouse or to my boss or to my parents or neighbor or whatever, then hopefully it'll just kind of go away on its own, right? Hopefully it'll just kind of work itself out. And if we learn, and I, or I can just learn to live with it, right? The problem with that is, the problem with that is sometimes that seems to work at first, right? Sometimes you know, you just, you just don't say anything and then, oh, well, it never comes back up again. Oh, okay. You know, like, or it really doesn't, isn't that big of a deal. And the problem with that is once we, we get, if we start building a habit of responding to conflict out of fear, then that just means that the next time we'll just do the same thing. The next time we'll just avoid it again and again and again. But, but the problem with that is what about all the things that don't just go away, right? What about the conflicts that just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. And by not saying anything or not doing anything or being afraid, it just causes more problems. Just, you know, when we, can, when we respond out of fear and avoidance over time, that, that doesn't usually work very well. It doesn't usually work very well. And, and that's what Paul, I think, is so upset about. He's so upset. Peter isn't addressing it. Peter has this opportunity to talk to these Jewish Christians, these Jewish friends of James and say, hey, I'm gonna sit with these, these people, these Gentile Christians, and this is why, and stand up for the truth. Paul calls him out, or, of Peter, Paul calls Peter's hypocrisy out and saying, you're not helping. And, and essentially what he says is, hey, you could have chosen a third option. There's a third option. There's a middle option. If, if pride's over here and fear's over here on the pendulum, there's a middle option and it's a grace-filled option. It's a grace-filled option. In conflict, we can choose to respond out of grace. We can choose to respond out of grace. Back again, verses 20 and 21. Paul says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if in keeping the law can make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ to die. Paul's response to Peter is to remind him, remind him of the grace that God has shown him, the grace that Peter has experienced. And he says, live out of that grace. Act in a way 
that is full of grace. Don't act like God's grace on you is, is meaningless, right? It's God's grace for you that Jesus went to the cross. Even though he was perfect, if there was anybody who could have been prideful, it was Jesus. But instead, he was humble. He was humble and he died on the cross. So you too should be humble, right? When fear could have caused Jesus to avoid the cross, he chose to be courageous. He chose to save us instead of himself, right? And so you too, Peter, need to step in to this conflict with courage because Christ lives in you and he wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to handle hard things like this, like the hard things that Jesus did. Live out of that grace. Grace combats pride and fear. Because of Jesus, we don't have to be prideful and prove anything. He's already proven it for us. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to live in fear because no matter what happens, Jesus loves us and he's for us. We don't have to be afraid of anybody. We can have courage, right? See, Paul's response and call towards grace really is a challenge to Peter to remember his new identity, to remember his new identity in Christ. Peter doesn't really go into really addressing much of Peter's behavior. Paul doesn't really go into addressing much of Peter's behavior specifically. Instead, he calls him to remember his identity in Christ. He says, you've forgotten who you are, Peter. You've put on that old mask. You've forgotten who you are. You need to take that off. And you need, to, you need to remember that you are a new person in Christ, that Christ is in you. Margaret Thatcher, if you remember her, she was the former prime minister of, of England for a number of years. She passed away a little over a decade ago. But there was a story of her uh, that while she was the prime minister, one day she went and visited, visited an assisted living facility. She went just to, just to visit and to love on and care for some of, the, some of the elderly people living in this home, many of whose family had passed on or friends had passed on, many who had been forgotten. And she showed up just to love on them and visit with them. And many people uh, who, who lived in that facility uh, knew who she was and just couldn't believe that she was there. Like the prime minister is here visiting me, you know, coming to my room, saying hi to me. But there was one woman that Margaret realized, she said, I don't think this woman knows who I am. I don't think she knows that I'm like the elected leader of her country, right? And so she asked her, she said, she says, do you know who I am? And the elderly woman responded. She said, oh dear, you don't know who you are? Go ask the nurse. She can always tell me who I am. I, you know, we, I say that jokingly, but we need people to remind us who we are. We need Pauls in our life sometimes to say, hey, don't forget who you are. Don't forget that your identity is in Christ. We need Jesus to remind us who we are. We need Jesus to remind us that we, we don't have to live and respond out of pride. We don't have to live and respond out of fear. We can, we, the grace that we have experienced in him, we can live out of that. And we can share that with other people. And we can approach conflicts that are inevitable uh, in that way. We don't, he said, we need people to remind us to not forget our grace-filled identities and how much value Jesus puts in us and how invaluable he, he looks at us and sees us as. 
I wanna invite up the worship team. And, um, but I wanna share, you know, last thing, just to wrap up, you know, pride, pride says this. Pride says, I'm more valuable than you. Fear says, you're more valuable than me. But grace says we are both more invaluable to Jesus than we could ever imagine. Pride says, I know more, I've earned it more, you know, I, I, you know, I have more experience, therefore I'm more valuable in this situation, in this conflict than you. Fear says, you're more valuable than me, I don't wanna mess things up, I don't wanna rock the boat, I don't wanna be rejected by you. But grace says, grace runs right into the conflict with humility, not pride, with courage, not fear. And, and in doing so, invites Jesus in to the conflict, to dress it together. Paul is not trying to beat or to win against Peter. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to remind him of his grace-filled identity found in Jesus and to stand up for the truth of the gospel, to stand up for it with courage and humility. What might it look like this week, this week, if a conflict arose at home, at work, with friends, somewhere, if you chose to approach it in a new way, with grace, rather than pride, you approach the person with graceful humility, willing to listen, care for the person, admit your own fault in the conflict if you need to, what would that look like, right? What would it look like to approach it with, with grace rather than fear, rather than avoiding it? You courageously engaged with that person. Might it serve as a living example of the gospel? And in doing so, invite Jesus into the conflict. I 100% think it would. And I would encourage you to do that this week. Let's stand up. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.